You are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is produced by Crawlspace Media. You are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast focusing on unsolved disappearances and murders. I'm Chloe. And I'm Melina. Thank you so much for listening. So we wanted to sort of fill you guys in a little bit on what's been going on in our lives. We kind of get excited about these things and we just jump right in. And I think maybe some of you are a bit curious about what we have going on if you care enough to hear our opinions on these cases. So Melina, I'll speak for you and you can speak for me if you want. Okay. (laughs) Um, Melina uh, just graduated from nursing school and she is studying to get registered and become an RN, but she's actually currently working as a nurse. So we can get into technicalities, but Melina graduated and she's a nurse. Yay. Um, It's because of the emergency COVID order. They're pretty desperate for nurses, but I would like to think that I am a good pick for a graduate nurse. Um, things have been going really great at my job. I really, really like it, and I'm learning new things every single day. And if I need help, then there's always people to ask. Everybody's really nice. Great. Awesome. And, you know, if Tim Polari were here, he would ask you, he would say, you know, you graduated from the same program that Maura Murray did. Isn't that correct? Or she didn't graduate, but you, you graduated from the program she attended. Yes. So is it. Is there anything special that you think is worth mentioning after experiencing that program firsthand that you think our listeners might find interesting? Well, while I think that my program, well, specifically, because hers was the four-year program and mine was the accelerated second bachelor's, I think mine was a lot more intensive and a lot more information packed. But that's not to say that the four-year program was not as hard, just maybe more spaced out. It took longer to get that degree, but... It's extremely difficult and taxing and stressful. And something that actually kind of surprised me was I sort of made a point to seek out older professors or professors that have said they've been working at UMass for a long time to see if they remembered her. And no one really remembered her. Even people that had been there when she was there? Yes. Well... She, I, there, there was a professor that was quoted as saying, you know, she was very quiet. Like, I, I don't remember her much, but she was a great student. So I think she was probably not one to, I don't think she established any significant relationships with her professors or made a big impression because I think she was shy and quiet. I just wonder though, it's like, did it not get enough attention? Because wouldn't they be wondering about a missing nursing student from their school? Wouldn't it be like in the paper? That seems to be like an ongoing theme that it, like a, a big deal was not made of it on campus. Like, I mean, I'm sure people listening to this can relate, but like when I talk to people and it like seems like they were on campus at that same time, I'll mention it. I'll say like, did you hear about this at that time? Were there any rumors? And like nobody, nobody ever remembers what I'm talking about. Maybe just the true crime fanatics. Yeah. But again, you'd think it would be a big deal. I, I would think so. I, mean, I guess every- it didn't happen out on campus. I guess if it happened on campus, it would be a bigger deal. Right. She was gone. She was, she was far away. Yeah. And I, when I think about her sending that email out to her professors, like she must have been at the end of her rope to really 
risk that because I don't, she wouldn't have gotten like a failing grade or had to repeat the class for missing one, but it's, it sounded like she was going to miss more than one clinical and it's not that easy to make them up. Right. A whole week she had accounted for. So if she made it up, she'd be okay, but it would be quite the process. So she was putting herself through quite an undertaking by taking that step. Yeah. It was a risk. Right. And just giving yourself more work in the future. Right. Very so, I, so I think she really must have been not doing so good. Yeah. I, I think it's clear that she was unraveling emotionally um, and really going through a tough time. So yeah. Thanks for that insight. You're welcome. So Chloe is kind of doing the same thing, but she is <laughs> finishing up a graduate certificate in criminal justice, which is pretty rad. Oh, I finished it actually. See, I'm such a, I'm such a wonderful sister. I, I keep track, but yes, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So I have a couple more classes to go and then I'll have my master's degree, but. Okay. So that's what I thought. You, you had something to finish. Yeah. But I, but you have, um, if you take a certain number of specific courses, you can get a certificate, you know, before then sort of, um, specialize, which is, which was cool. Um, and we're yeah. excited to be recording season two. Absolutely. And it's kind of hard to find the time between our jobs and Chloe being a mom. It's hard, but we're happy to be here. Yeah. Anything going on with true crime news? True crime news. Why hasn't Lori Vallow been charged yet? She hasn't? No. <laughs> she I don't get it. Wait, she's been in jail. She's, she's not charged with murder or conspiracy to commit murder. She's charged with tampering with evidence or like um abandoning your children or she hasn't been charged with murder yet and neither has her husband well we don't know there, there might be tests being done and they probably want their case to be perfect i i find it very hard to believe there is a future where she's not arrested yeah it's just kind of bonkers to me that whole thing i still think about it pretty much daily um but yeah anything i don't think anything, anything new though anything new hmm. bill specter died Oh, he's the well. he's the um, music producer that shot that actress in the face and said that it was an accident and that she quote kissed the gun. But he's in pr- he died in prison, I think, of COVID. But everybody was like, "Oh, he, what an amazing man!" I'm like, everybody should be posting a picture. I think that it was Lana Clarkson. Does that sound right to you? I have no idea. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, no, I I know about Phil Spector and his history. And he, like, literally held his one of his first wives, Ronnie Spector, of the Ronettes, like, the Be My Baby song. He, like, held her hostage in, her, in their house, and she had to, like, escape. Wow. So, certainly a menace to society, and you're correct. Um, American actress Lana Clarkson was the victim of Phil Spector. Yeah, so I feel like people should be talking about that instead of, oh, you're so great. Well, you didn't even know her. Well, you did know her name, so if, like, if you I knew her name. <laughs> You were wrong. I face. I'm better with faces than with names. That's good. I, I'm really good with faces too. With, with masks, it's um, it's a little bit harder, but it's at least we can see people's eyes. Yeah, like when people make court appearances and you see that on the news, they're they're used, they're wearing masks. So I'm like, hmm. Like I do feel like that I've been able to encode something better with like facial because you can see people's faces move when they smile or frown or cry and you can see the look in their eyes but i still wish i could do her whole face we'll get there we're getting there yeah i got vaccinated don't brag i'm not bragging because i feel like crap 
Yeah. Not, that, not to say that everybody will feel like crap. I don't even know if that's why I feel like crap, but I do. So yeah. feel bad for me. <laughs> I do feel bad for you, but I'm also jealous because I'm, I'm definitely just eager for society to get to the point of herd immunity. And I'm excited to get the vaccine. And I'm just, you know, this is like, we're kind of in the pits of it right now. You know, we're recording on uh, January 31st, 2021. So it's, it's a tough time, you know, in the world, but it does seem like there's some hope. Yeah. Um, I think that's all we can really do at this point. Yeah. Well, what we're supposed to do just keep being negative and pessimistic and have no hope for the future. We can talk about true crime. We can talk about the disappearance of Brianna Maitland. What do you think? That sounds like a great idea. And it sounds like something that might distract me from my own crap because it's a mystery that we can kind of jump into. And it's one that I know that a lot of people out there are very much interested in and I can see why. Yeah. And when we kind of branched off with this show, people did engage on social media and say, are you going to do coverage on Brianna? People are interested in, in our take, you know, and I, as a lot of our listeners know, I have a blog, uh, Chloe from Crawl Space, where I've extensively covered Brianna's case. And I appeared on um, a recent episode of Mind Over Murder, uh, which is a podcast with uh, Bill Thomas, and talked about the case. So yeah, I think... Oh, thank you. I think, um, I, think, I think this can make for a pretty interesting discussion. So for people who don't know, uh, Brianna Maitland was 17 years old when she disappeared on March 19th, 2004. She had been working at her new job as a dishwasher at the Black Lantern Inn in Montgomery, Vermont, which is pretty close to the Canadian border. She punched out at 1120, declined going out with coworkers, saying that she was tired she was starting a new job, uh, another new job, a second job at KJ's Diner as a waitress that next day. When was this? What was the question? When was this? This was March 19th, 2004. Okay. So, okay. Northern Vermont. Northern Vermont. 2004, huh? I wonder, that's a pretty interesting year, huh? Yeah. As, as a lot of people know, this happened very shortly after Maura Murray went missing. And yeah, and circumstances, away. the weirdness were kind of similar too with like, well, we'll get into that, right? No I didn't mean to interrupt you, go on. <laughs> so she was planning on starting another job that next day. She did not show up for that shift. She left that sh- uh, the shift at the Black Lantern Inn at 11.20 p.m. and was witnessed driving off and then not long after, probably about an hour after, the times have been kind of inconsistently reported, at, you know, exactly when witnesses saw the car. But, you know, at approximately one hour after her car was witnessed by multiple people backed in to an abandoned farmhouse at an odd angle. And, um, you know, there was some evidence of perhaps a struggle. Um, headlights were left on doors were left open there were items on the ground uh the driver was gone so who discovered the car there were a couple of bystanders that had just you know that happened to drive by uh the police weren't dispatched to the car until the next day hmm. i wonder people were just like oh a car well and walked one, away well one of those people was her ex-boyfriend were they on good terms by all accounts yes by all accounts, um, they were hanging out as friends as recently as three weeks prior to her going missing. So maybe he saw the car and was like, oh, she's off 
doing something. I'm going to close the doors to help her out. I think it was less about, well, what he says is um, it, it wasn't, it was less about not getting her into trouble and not getting himself into trouble. He had been, you know, drinking and, and using drugs and uh, he didn't want to call the police and draw attention to that. It was It was his explanation for his lack of action. I think, you know, I, I hope everyone can look up the picture and see what the car looks like and, you know, make up your own mind, feel what you feel instinctually in your gut about whether or not that, I mean, obviously there's hindsight. We know that something not great happened, but I think that most, I think the average person would look at that and be concerned, but this, this young man was not. Yeah. Um, I definitely would be concerned. The car was backed in partially into that barn and there was extensive damage around the barn and there was, were there items kind of on the ground around the car? Yeah, there was some loose change and a water bottle and a broken necklace that, according to media accounts, was confirmed to belong to Brianna. Right. Uh, I think it was identified by her mother, even. Um, and all of Brianna's belongings were left behind in the car, including, you know, migraine medication, uh, contact lenses, things that she needed, and, you know, two paychecks were on the passenger seat. Right. When I um, look at that scene, what I think happened was that she stopped for some reason. I don't know if somebody flagged her down or if she saw somebody on the side of the road or if somebody was standing in the middle of the road with a baseball bat and was blocking the road. I don't know. But she stopped for some reason and then she tried to get away. And in her fear and adrenaline, she tried to back out to, so that she can get back onto the road. And she backed into the barn by accident and then somebody grabbed her out of the car. Yeah, it, it looks like the way that she had backed up was at a quick rate of speed based on how the car was, like, lodged into the house. So it seems like in a state of heightened arousal fear, someone could have accidentally put the gear into reverse, slammed on the gas, and went back into the house trying to escape from a dangerous situation. I don't really love the theory of someone standing in the middle of the road with a bat or standing... Why not? <laughs> Does that happen? Like, I, I, always go, I always come back to that. Like, does that happen? Does that happen? Do people stand in the middle of the road with a bat to stop a car so they can kidnap them? Well, I don't know. This is a pretty rural area. I don't, people kind of, it's a small place and people might have known that she was going to be coming down that road. And they, if they walked. knew where she worked and they knew where she lived, they would know that she was coming down that road or if they were stalking her. Right. But I don't know, maybe that's just my own imagination going wild. But we also hear countless rumors, you know, local rumors uh, that come from this case. You know, it's a very isolated area, and this is probably the biggest thing that's happened. So, you know, a lot of stories, uh, tall tales, urban legends come from it. And I believe, you know, one of the stories or theories that have been out there are people, you know, people standing in the road with a batter or some other weapon. People have suggested there were, uh, you know, roadblocks in the road. I think that's just less likely because they might have known she was going that way. But I mean, what would they have done if another car came around the bend? Like now they're just like threatening a random stranger with a bat and that person's not going to do or say anything the next day. I just think. What kind, way... of car have? what kind of car did Brianna have? Brianna drove a Oldsmobile Royale. It was light green and 
uh, Greg Overacker, a private investigator on this case, like lovingly referred to it as a trash can on wheels or a rolling dumpster or something like that. It was just like not the greatest car. Okay, so that kind of sounds like the car that you would hear from a mile away with that freaking, I don't know, muffler, like. Yeah, like a tank, like a really, she inherited it from her grandfather. Right. So obviously she was targeted, right? It wasn't like some, it doesn't seem like that somebody was just randomly trying to kidnap somebody. It seemed like somebody was looking for her. Well, based on the location of where it happened and, you know, like the proximity to her punching out of work, I, ha- I, I am inclined to, to believe that someone, whether it was like a mutual situation or not, someone was aware of her patterns and, you know, what she did on a day-to-day basis. The job was new the living situation was pretty new as well. She was living in Sheldon with her friend Jillian, who had taken her in, and I, I just think for it to if for it to be random is very unlikely. I think someone knew the circumstances and that she was she she had she had met up with someone and it had gone bad, or she was set up. So why do you think somebody would want to hurt her? There are several motives for hurting people. Um, we can, I guess, get into that a little bit after we talk about, you know, the potential suspects and the theories. We can, you know, talk about motivations, but if, if that's good for you. It's good for me. <laughs> okay. So just to kind of go through that day, it was a Friday. She um, woke up early and went out with her mother uh, for breakfast. She didn't live with her parents. She was a very fiercely independent young lady and didn't like being told what to do, didn't like rules. And yeah, yeah, I think we can all relate to that feeling. And she was living with friends and it was a bit of an unstable situation, but she had found at least some stability at that point, staying with her friend Jillian, who was a friend from middle school. They didn't go to the same high school, but uh, Brianna pretty much, you know, showed up on her doorstep saying, I I need a place to live. She had just gotten assaulted by one of her friends um, in an incident that we will uh, expand on a little bit later, but that's kind of what Brianna's situation was at that time. So she spent some time with her mom and then she went and took her high school equivalency exam. She had dropped out of high school and this was a really meaningful, you know, moment for her to be able to get this GED and move on to go to college. High school was, uh, you know, the, the failure of high school. I think that that's been attributed to her unstable living arrangements, you know, it's, it's really hard to keep up with your classes when you're, you know, spending some nights in your car. Right. And I wonder if there was, I guess it doesn't matter why she was couch surfing, right? I don't know if we should even talk about that, but it is not the most common thing in the world to hear about a teenager dropping out of school because they're sleeping in their car and couch surfing. No, absolutely not. But it seemed like she was, you know, she was motivated and had the fortitude to try to turn this all around. And it seemed like she still talked to both of her parents. Yes, she seemed to have a very close relationship with both parents. So she did pass the exam. She got her GED, so she did it. Um, you know, a very meaningful step. And she had also been recently hired for two part-time jobs, and she had planned to go to college. So, again, making good choices moving forward. So, very productive day. Right after she takes this uh, exam, Brianna's mom takes her clothes shopping in St. Albans because she needed uh, black pants for the dress code at the diner job. So that's 
you know, the very next thing they did, Brianna then stepped out while the two waited to check out and then met the mother back at the car when the mother was done buying the pants and Brianna was in a bad mood and was in a rush to get back to Jillian's house so she can get ready for work. Right. And people have speculated about why she all of a sudden had like a change of mood. They were like, oh, did something happen? Like, did she see somebody? Did somebody give her like a, like a threatening gesture? But it's, I guess it's a waste of time to even try to guess. Any, any like talk or idea that she was threatened by anyone is just rumor. Like nothing, nothing like that has ever been confirmed. So we absolutely shouldn't go too deeply into that. Yeah, All we know is her mom, like any other teenager would be. <laughs> yeah. My daughter is not a teenager and she's already mean to me. So yeah. <laughs> girls are mean to their moms. <laughs> better not be mean to you what i said she better not be mean to you no i'm just kidding yeah it seems to me like you're like one of the only people that she likes (laughs) yeah girl but girls can be kind of impatient with their moms as i've said before i certainly was (laughs) yeah sorry mom it happens you know (laughs) yeah they parted ways she got ready for work and made it to her shift at the Black Lantern Inn. She left the Black Lantern at like 11.20 p.m. So that's pretty late. She, her car was found crashed into that barn probably like, what, 10, 20 minutes later? There's a time range, like an estimated time range based on accounts. It's like, it could be as soon as 10 minutes or it could have been as long as... Uh, like an hour and a half or something like that. It's 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 very possible that the police have a more accurate picture, but what's public, it's it's not so clear how long it was. So somebody, or somebody's persons, presumably took her from her car. I think that some people try to push the theory that she ran away, but I really don't think so. Personally, what about you? Oh, absolutely not. Hogwash. <laughs> no way. No way. That's That was being pushed by law enforcement at the beginning based on the fact that I think maybe a year or two earlier, Brianna had run away for like a day. Like she, uh, the, the family had moved and she just went off, ran off and was found at the old house. Like she was just being like a, a stupid kid. It wasn't like a, in my opinion, a serious run, running away attempt where, you know, you, you've made a life elsewhere. Brianna didn't have any resources. She didn't have her only mode for transportation. She didn't have any of her money that she had been working very hard to earn. She, she was working towards a conventional future. Why would she then run away? Absent any reason to believe that and, and considering how her car was found, absolutely not. Yeah. The reality is, is that she's either no longer with us or she is alive and in captivity in some way. I think that's, you know, it, that's a scenario where, you know, we, we've seen that. Like, have you ever, like, I, saw, that. I saw on the internet the other day, it's like, have you ever like been like on a long drive and thought about how many car, how many houses you've driven by that have had a person in the basement? Yeah. Like, like ruined my day. <laughs> I, I think about when it, well, I don't really walk down the street anymore. I don't really leave my house, but when I used to like walk down the street and go out in public, I would wonder how many people I walked by had murdered somebody. Right. So it's, you know, it's not that, uh, it's, We've it's all not somebody that has killed somebody. We all have it statistically. Right. But I'm, I'm saying it's less common 
for people to hold captives for decades. I agree, but it does happen. Indeed. So, So, did she have any enemies? Yes, Brianna did have enemies. The uh, situation about three weeks before her disappearance, um, she'd gotten into a fight with her friend Keely Lacrosse. Uh, Get into a fight, or was she attacked? There was a there was an art, there was a disagreement between the girls, and then she was uh, physically attacked. There was no, um, according to I think all parties, there was no fighting back on the part of Brianna. Right, and Brianna, even though she was little, I think she was like five four and one hundred and ten pounds, so that's very petite. I think that she knew jujitsu or some kind of martial art and still chose not to fight back. And she got like, I think she had like a broken nose and like two black eyes. She got punched pretty hard. Yeah. Um, it, it looked pretty bad. Keely, you know, I, I had conversations with her. I had interviewed her for uh, my blog and, you know, she said that she had punched her twice, that she had walked up to her. She was sitting in James's car, the, the same James is the ex-boyfriend that, saw her car, her abandoned vehicle the night she went missing. I guess, according to Keely, she had shown up to this party with James and, you know, left the party sitting in the car alone. Keely approaches her, has her roll down the window and punches her in the face twice. Some people see her face and don't believe it. I, I honestly don't know enough about fighting. Yeah, she was definitely punched in, like, the bridge of her nose and possibly, it, like, in her actual nose, because the bridge of the nose probably bruised both of her under eyes. Like, I've seen people who have fallen with injuries like these, believe it or not, but, nah, she, that, she looks like somebody whooped her ass. Bill Thomas on Mind Over Murder said that he thinks that she looks like she was pummeled by a UFC fighter. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, he said he absolutely, he said he couldn't believe that it was two punches, but you're saying that you've seen injuries like that for someone that's fallen. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so you think that two punches is plausible. Two pu- two punches by a 17-year-old uh, female. Well, to me, she kind of seems like kind of scary for a 17-year-old. Not like, I'm not trying to be mean, but like she obviously seems like a tough girl for wanting to get into a physical fight in the first place. Right, I, I know that you and I d- weren't doing things like that. In high school. No, and even if I was, I definitely wouldn't be able to inflict that kind of damage. No, she knew she knew what she was doing. She knew how to fight. We didn't have brothers. She has brothers, so okay. she probably actually knew oh, how to I fight. Learn. Maybe yeah. we should. Maybe we should know. Maybe we're being stupid telling all of our listeners that we don't know how to fight. Well, actually, listeners, I do know how to fight. Um, I took some Krav Maga classes, so I have some tricks up my sleeve. I think that if they wanted to be intimidated, they should should hear our cousin that you went to Krav Maga with talk about her experience at Krav Maga. Which is kick my butt. <laughs> kick your ass. <laughs> Six feet tall. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, so... I have a poor cat. So, back to the case, Brianna did have enemies. Keely was very upset with Brianna and assaulted Brianna because Brianna had spent the weekend with Keely's boyfriend, Mike Stebbins, mm-hmm. when Keely was staying with her mother in Massachusetts. So she felt very betrayed. You by him, IMO. No, it's, it is like an enduring pattern. The female always gets it's all the blame. Up. They always go after the female. They're always mad at the female. But it's, and it was her friend. So I, like, I get why she was mad at her. But also, I think that if somebody should have been punished, it should have been him. Yeah. I, I agree. And who knows? She probably punched him too. Who knows? So. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but, so cool. That hurts. 
Yes. But, but, but I, they're teenagers, and teenagers make mistakes. And obviously, she felt bad. She refused to fight back because I think she knew that she really messed up. Right. It's a, read the full interview uh, with Keely. It's a two-parter post on my blog. Shameless self-promotion, but at the same time, I want- shameless. People should understand it. Yeah, no, it, just to have all the context, because I can read it verbatim, but that's not really interesting or original, because yeah. you can just read it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that she's been hurt by people thinking that she was a suspect, even, even though they had a huge falling out. I don't think there's any evidence that she actually did something to her to cause her disappearance. No, um- as as far as what the public is aware of, no, there's nothing that specifically links her to the to the disappearance. No, I mean, no one, as far as we know, is linked to the disappearance. Did she have any other enemies? There was some talk that she owed money to an individual named Nathaniel Jackson. Nathaniel Jackson and Ramon Ryan's were natives of uh, Jamaica Queens in New York. And they had traveled to northern Vermont exclusively to traffic crack cocaine. They, you know, were exploiting the crack epidemic in northern Vermont at the time and turning teenagers on to drugs, you know, getting them addicted for their own profit. They're sociopathic uh, people. So she yeah. said Brianna was doing cocaine? There, um, there were reports that Brianna was using crack cocaine. And there were reports that Brianna knew and had, you know, contact with Nathaniel Jackson and owed him money. That's, that's rumor that is not, con- I mean, it, it is confirmed that she had contact with him. It is not necessarily confirmed publicly that she owed him money. And in, in publicly, do we know if anybody has been alibied? I don't believe so i'm trying to think you know i talked to keely about that because you know on the disappeared show on id discovery they said that she was cleared um you know people who are investigating this case have also said that brianna's ex-boyfriend james robitelli was cleared but no one has no one has no one has an alibi and as far as i know okay so it sounds like that night you know james said that he was you know partying with mike stebbins who was keely's boyfriend so it sounds like they 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 were all together. Maybe that group was partying together that night. It's, yeah, that's possible. They're, weren't they coming from Canada or something? Who was from Canada? Weren't they coming from Canada? Weren't, wasn't James, like, arriving back to Vermont from Canada? That was his original story to the police. It's not true. He never was in Canada. Where was he? He was at Mike Stebbins' house. So why did he lie? I think it's suspicious. Um, James, just for listeners who don't know, James Robitelli has since uh, died. He died in a motor vehicle accident and he can't really tell a side of the story. I did try to reach out to him when he was alive and didn't hear back. Uh, he never really spoke publicly about this case. So unfortunately we'll, we'll never know his side really. But I, I, I do have to say that I found the fact that he lied about his whereabouts that night, you know, just, just because he didn't want the police just because he didn't want the police to know he he was drinking or he was high, he didn't have to say he was in Canada. Right. Like, it, it sounds like he was... Or maybe not so much back then. I don't know. It sounds like he was completely trying to, like, remove himself. I, I just found the whole thing really suspicious. And, you know, he was a teenager. So he's trying to get out of trouble, trying to say whatever you can to get out of trouble. I just felt that the extent of the uh, dishonesty 
I, I, I felt it, it was a step above how someone would be dishonest to cover up what he's claiming to cover up. I feel like there's more, especially because he had contact with the car, closing the doors, turning off the lights. Um, he also lied about the time. First, he said that um, it was uh, like 2.30, I think. And then he, he said it was later or something like that. There was like a two hour gap from when he said he was there to then what he later admitted was the truth. So like, again, why are you trying to remove what your- What said was the truth? What time was the truth? I'd have to uh, look it up. I see um, here his current account. Well, it's not his current account because he's not here, I guess. Well, I guess it's, it remains his current account. Ignore me. Which is believed to be the truth is that he drove past the Dutch burn house at about 2.30 a.m. and pulled over upon recognizing the car. So I think he had originally said it was earlier than that. Hmm. But then he's like, oh, crap, people might think I did something. But I mean, at that point, if if he really is innocent, when he actually did come across the car, he really had no reason to believe that something had happened. I would have a reason to believe something happened because of the state of the car. I I would honestly think that she crashed because she was drunk and and bailed to sober up. That's that's what I would have thought. I mean, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't her friend. But, like, knowing that they, they did go to parties, they did drink, they did, you know, do recreational drugs, I, I don't think it's out of question for him to be like, oh, she must have, you know, she must have taken it too far and she went and sobered up. Like, I don't see any blood. I don't see anything. That's kind but, of what people assume happened with Mora, right? And it's probably likely that that's why she did initially leave the scene. Well, when you talk to, like, people that were actually, like, were or are current police officers they'll say like a scene like that with a car in a weird position abandoned like that it is most commonly a drunk driver and it's not something that they it's not uncommon for them to encounter so if you actually talk to someone that works in law enforcement the reaction that the police in Maura Murray's case had assuming that it was just a drunk driver abandoning the car it makes sense based on like past experience and that's not something that the that us civilians would necessarily know True. Yeah, I wouldn't know because I don't drive drunk. Anybody was wondering. Anyway, so speaking of the police, they were first dispatched to Brianna's car at one twenty-two p.m. the next day. Uh, no one had called the police until that next morning. A, a group of hikers called the World Travelers uh, spotted it. They also spotted a, a jacket near the scene, but it was determined to not belong to Brianna. Or I don't, maybe, you know, I might be mixing things up. It's possible that the police found the jacket and not the world travelers. But a jacket was found, a woman's jacket, and confirmed to not belong to Brianna. Huh. The officer never ran the plates. Um, he just had it towed. And it's rumored that he went on vacation the next day. So <laughs> Brianna's missing. She has unstable living situations. You know, she's not with her parents. Her friend Jillian is busy and has her own life. She spent the weekend away. And she wasn't aware that Brianna didn't return home um, until Monday. So Brianna had left a note for Jillian on Friday, which she had seen, saying, I'll be back home around this time, Brie. She leaves for the weekend, comes back Monday, and the note's still there. So it's like, okay, well, if Brianna had come back, you'd think she would have tossed the note or, or done something. But Brianna was nowhere to be found. So the next day on Tuesday, Jillian called Brianna's mom, Kelly. And, you know, moms have that intuition, that gut. Like, you hear time and time again in all these cases that 
obviously like people aren't magic as again i'm just quoting greg overacker shout out to greg people aren't magic so like i'm not saying that people that like moms are psychic but i do think that once someone raises a concern a mother is the one that is very quick to say "Uh oh like there is a problem uh something is not right so kelly immediately jumped into action she called her husband she called the police um, and did everything they could to begin an investigation into their daughter's disappearance. It wasn't until they went to the state police barracks that the police made the connection actually right before their eyes that the car was found abandoned. They didn't even run the plates. He said, oh, wait a minute, this is this the car? And Kelly immediately felt a pit in her stomach and knew that her daughter did not leave the car that way, and she wouldn't leave the car that way. No, I don't think she would. No, that was that was her only way of transportation. Like she was one of very few uh, who had a vehicle, you know, in, in her circle of friends. Where we went to high school, pretty much every kid had a car when they when they turned sixteen. Um, Brianna was like the only one. They all depended on her to, you know, drive them around to go to you know Mike Stebbins' house. So. It was a big deal. I don't think she would have just left it, especially if she was trying to get away. Right. And like you said, she didn't have any resources to get away if she was really trying to, like, plan this intricate plot to run away despite having all these local ties and new jobs and whatnot. Right, yeah, despite making all these strides towards planning a new future. So the car, again, like I said, was towed. Once the family, which, you know, was Bruce Kelly and her older brother, Waylon, they, they went to the car and realized it hadn't been searched. So they pried open the trunk and it was just all of Brianna's stuff. Uh, you know, there was some, there was clothing, luggage, personal items, and things that she needed, like I said, medication and personal care items. Um, nothing was found really besides that broken necklace around that accident site. They had found jeans in the woods, but th- those were determined to not... Um, belong to Brianna as far as I know. Now I guess we talked about motives, right? We talked about like jealousy or betrayal or owing somebody money, right? Well, yeah, that, that's a possibility. I think when a young woman is involved, I think sexual assault is always a possible motive as well. And it may not have been from somebody that she knew, but or it could have. I, I think it's possible, you know, especially because, you know, she worked at a restaurant where people are coming and going. It's possible that someone noticed her, like, a, you know, someone going to that restaurant, a patron, a, a hotel guest. Yeah. Even though she was a dishwasher, I guess she could have, like, made an appearance. I think she, I think she actually, like, it was established that she did, you know, come out and talk to customers yeah, at and, time. and she was very, like, cute, I think, universally. Did you say cute? Yeah. It's so hard recording on Zoom. Yeah, very cute. Um, yeah, a little background on Brianna. She was uh, born in Burlington, Vermont. She was 17 at the time of her disappearance, uh, born in October, uh, October 8th, 1986, a Libra like us. She grew up off the grid pretty much in Franklin, Vermont. They didn't have like a TV or basic appliances in the kitchen. Uh, she was, you know, unique and an original her friends called her like a hippie chick. She even had like a, a Jeep Wrangler at one point that she would drive on back roads and um, really loved animals. 
She had pets and cattle when she lived with her parents. And of course, she loved her car, her green Oldsmobile. Do we know like what she wanted to do when she grew up? I don't think she quite knew. You know, she was young and she still had time to figure it out. She and her stuff. Yeah, she and her best friend Jillian had talked about like getting an RV and driving to every state in America to see which one they liked. And they had talked about, you know, different things they might do. Everyone believes, everyone that knew her believes that she would do something to help others. Yeah, I could totally see that. Not that I knew her, but I I know that you've talked to her friends and the things that I've read. I could totally see her being in the helping profession. Yes. Um, and people just, people have very nice things to say. You know, they say that she, you know, maybe had, you know, bad judgment because she was young. And wow, she, shocking. Yeah, shocking. <laughs> she had made some mistakes in life. But most things that everybody says are overwhelmingly positive, even from Keely. Like Keely said she was just, you know, she was so nice. She was so affectionate. She was such a good friend. Other friends, you know, say that she was really bubbly. She would, you know, just walk right up to you and introduce herself and make you feel like her oldest friend. She was also very beautiful um, and was known for being very, very pretty uh, in that area. Right. She, had, you know, beautiful dark brown hair, just an adorable face, uh, very cute and, and stylish and confident. Yeah, and that is why there is a lot of interest in her case. Like, not the only reason why, but it doesn't hurt. That she's beautiful? Right. Unfortunately, you know, there's, unfortunately, she has some factors that have stigmatized her. As well. As yep. well. So it's kind of like, you know, if, if she wasn't, if she wasn't out, possibly yeah. into drugs, whatever. If she wasn't beautiful and white, there would be virtually no attention at all, which is terrible. Yeah. Not a new concept to any of our listeners, I'm sure. Right. So we can talk about, uh, you know, theories and and suspects if you want. I would love that. Yeah. So when I talk about, when I say suspect, like, without getting us sued, (laughs) whose name pops into your head? More than one person, absolutely, that pulled it off. They had to have had a vehicle to get her away unless they ran her through the field, which I doubt because it's just so much land between places. They obviously had to take her somewhere. I mean, the field behind the farmhouse is, it's, it borders a river, like the, the Trout River. So there's nowhere to go behind the house. And then there's, you know, the main road where they can be seen. I, re- I really think, I mean, it was freezing out that night. I, I don't think they rushed her anywhere. And put her in a vehicle and they went off. I don't know if they went off in the way that she was coming or the way that she was going, but they took her someplace um, for CD reasons. They hurt her in some way. And now this person, if they, whether they're alive or not, if they are alive, they have to live with what they did. And I wonder how they do that. They probably don't have compassion. Uh, They probably don't have remorse or empathy. So that's how they live with it, you know. Or they do, and they're just riddled with drugs and alcohol, or, like, in and out of hospitals, or, like, whatever. I really think it's likely that it was someone that that knew her, and possibly someone that she trusted, you know. I I mean, there's nothing nothing that's mitigating about this crime, you know, because we're talking about a very likely murder. There's nothing that mitigates it. But it, it does make matters worse for me, like in my gut, if it was someone that she trusted. I agree. It's more of a betrayal. Right. So I think we can agree 
that there was some premeditation here that someone you know was at least familiar with her patterns and either set her up or had made plans to meet up with her it should be noted that there is no evidence of her making plans to meet with anybody they had checked the phone records at the black lantern inn and brianna didn't have a cell phone did she have uh, <laughs> i don't know that was the time for it yeah i would have somebody made a plan with him by mouth that that's the that's really like the I mean, when you talk about AM, you talk about having a computer. I don't think she had a computer. She she didn't have a bed. Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, like, no, it's easy to kind of like project her own like experience, but it's definitely something very different than than what we experienced. But yeah, it's very possible that she had made a plan uh, through word of mouth or that she maybe even had like a chance encounter with someone or someone planned to set her up and knew that she had trusted them and knew that she would feel comfortable stopping to say hello to them. They don't have to stand in the middle of the road with a baseball bat. If she's driving and she sees someone that she thinks is a friend, you don't think she's going to stop? Um, it depends on how she feels. Like, she did turn down going out with her coworkers because she was tired. Uh, but she didn't know them. She kept going. She didn't know them. And maybe she said no because she had plans. That's true. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, maybe the person who did it went to her job that night. But there's really no way of knowing at until, all until information comes through or um, something happens forensically with some sort of DNA match. We know that some DNA has been taken from her vehicle. And we also know that the Vermont state police, they'd recently um, gone to the media to talk about uh, doing a campaign to raise money to have evidence tested with genetic genealogy, which has happened. I, I don't know if, you know, the, the samples have been resulted or anything, but I, I'm pretty sure that they met the financial goal and that they were going to move forward with that testing. So um, this case is terribly sad. I've met Brianna's father, Bruce. We did a live panel together. We've recorded podcasts together on Crawl Space, you know, with Tim Plary and Lance Reed Stierna. He's a, a wonderful person. He's a fantastic advocate starting this nonprofit organization, Investigations for the Missing, to try to help other families who find themselves in this unimaginably overwhelming situation to get support that they need, even if they lack the funds. I think her, her older brother must, you know, think of her daily and her poor mother. I, I, I can't, I can't imagine what these people have to deal with every single day, having someone missing and having absolutely no answers or closure so I'm hoping that someone can find it in their heart to free these innocent people of that burden. Yeah. And no matter what mistakes Brianna made, she is no doubt 100% a victim that did not deserve what happened to her. Uh, if anyone has information about the case, they can contact the Vermont State Police or they can contact uh, private investigators on the case. Um, we can put uh, ways to contact them into the show notes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>